Oh, welcome, saints. Good to have you all here. And welcome all you sinners, including myself. Good that we're all gathered together. Okay, Deacon John, well, what is it? Are we saints or are we sinners? Can't have it both ways. What is it? Well, the answer is yes. Well, that's not an answer. It's the only one I got. You know, Catholic theology uh, would say this. When we say, I'm not that bad, the church would say, yes, you are. And Catholic theology would say, when you say about yourself, I'm not that good, the church would say, yes, you are. You see, we are saints, all of us. We were baptized into Christ. And Christ's very life was grafted into yours. And it remains that. When you receive sacraments, you receive the body and blood of Christ. And the church has this belief that Christ is present in a way that we call sanctifying grace. That there's a grace within that sanctifies us, making us holy, working within us, sometimes beyond our conscious perception. At the same time, you and I are sinners, sinners. And we know that in our bones. Now, some people say, why, why do you want to talk about sin? You're going to make me feel bad. I don't want to look at that. Life is too positive. Well, there's two reasons, folks. Because it's true that you and I are sinners. It's true. In fact, someone once said that it, sinful, sin is the only theological concept, Christian concept, that has empirical evidence. Empirical. You can read the newspaper. You can see the statistics. You can look at human history and see what humanity has done to itself. We can avoid it, but sin kind of creeps out and shows its ugly head in our lives, even when we avoid it. And the second reason we talk about sin is because that's where we begin. It's why we're here tonight. You and I are here because we're broken. We're broken. We need a savior. We're not here because we're better than other people. We're here to look good. We're here because we're broken. friends, if you don't know that you're blind, you'll never see. If you don't know that you don't know, you'll never know. And if you don't know you're a sinner, you'll never know your Savior. You'll never know him. And you'll miss the greatest splendor of human experience. 
the moment of human sinfulness meets divineness in the entirety. Kind of like the prodigal son. He ran into the embrace of his father, an extraordinary embrace of love that never would have happened if a while back he didn't come to terms with himself as a sinner and what he had done and went back to his father. And because of that, he received it. And it's the same with us. So let's look at this thing called sin. Look at yourself. Look at myself. If you're like me, there's things that I'm stuck in. Things that I've been working on and working on. They get better, but I, I can't get past them. Sometimes, you know, you and I are like St. Paul who says, I don't do the good I want. I do the evil I don't want. We're so compromised. And if we're honest, we're just so self-absorbed. This little ego drama of our life. We're not focused in charity. In fact, most of the time we're focused in judgment. If we're honest, everything, everyone. You can't pray. You can't love when you're judging. And it's self-implanted in us. All of us. Look at your relationships and my relationships. Look at how people relate. You know, in my life, in working with people, my own experience, the greatest amount of human suffering I know among us. The brokenness of human relationships. Be it family or friends or romance or marriage or love and trust that's betrayed. How much pain and suffering that we struggle with, all of us, even who have so much going for us. Is it because humans can't live together? We just can't. And what is that? You and I can't. The world certainly can't live together. What is that? What about the world? One-third of the world goes to bed hungry every night in a world that could easily feed everyone. What is that? Why is that? Last Sunday, I was watching 60 Minutes. They did a a series, a little clip, a story on Syria and the war, and they talked about the the chemical bombing that sent 200 of them, and they showed the effects of the poisonous gas on civilians, women, and children. And the images that showed me, just, I couldn't get out of my mind for days. Who does that? What is that? You know, we've heard about the sex industry exploding. They call it sexual slavery. There are millions of people are enslaved in the industry, millions. I won't go into it, but if you explore it, the magnitude globally is utterly horrific. I 
go to Haiti, I, I was there three weeks ago with members of this parish and medical mission team. I've been there several times. And you know what wrecks me about Haiti? Is I meet these Haitians, these beautiful people, just good people generally, who just want to make it better, want to get ahead, want a job. And the social structure is set in such a way that it grinds them down into poverty. It keeps them there and won't let them progress. There's such a thing as social sin that gets in society, even political sin that oppresses and is unjust. It pervades. When I was uh, in Germany studying and college student, I went to a concentration camp, a prison camp of Bay there. And yeah, I prevailed at Cape Cod. How can this work? You know, when you look at sin in these terms, in an odd way, it can help us. You see, when your concept of sin is small, you know, everybody's good, we're okay. And it's like a scale, it's even scalar than normal, but it's small. When your concept of sin is small, your concept of God and Jesus is huge. And you can take it or leave it, because it's no big deal. But when your concept, your understanding of sin then your understanding of this cross of Jesus Christ is huge and that he came to forgive and take away the sin of the world all of it when you get this your discipleship is transformed you begin to set your face like flint and you live it because you see what you're dealing with and what God in Jesus is really about and is. Friends, when you get this, it changes everything. Like it changed me. There's a great uh, line in Matthew's Gospel, you know, uh, the, the Magi came looking for the king, and the word got out, the newborn came, and it says this, when King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, why are they so greatly troubled? This is like good news. The newborn king has come. Because it's another king who's setting up a new kingdom, who's changing the order of things. Like Jesus in the gospel who goes into the temple and overturns the tables, overturns it, changes it, says this cannot stay any longer. You don't rip off pilgrims in the temple by charging them more, these poor people. He turns it over. Because he's establishing, friends, a new kingdom, a new order on this earth. And so 
I'm not going to do that. You don't need, you don't know me. And if I'm not stopping you, I think it means you, too, are surprised. You know, I end with a thought. People say, who killed Jesus? Who put him on the cross? A lot of people, I got Jews. They always blame the Jews. Ah, the Jews did it. Ah, the Romans. Ah, not really. You know who killed Jesus and put him on the cross? <laughs> you. Me. All of us. When we understand that the cross of Christ is humanity, rejection of divine love, and there's no better, clearer understanding of human sinfulness than our corporate human rejection of divine love given in Christ. And then if we find it, then that's what we do. That's what we do. Not what the world does. It's not about us. No matter what you or I or anyone on this planet has done to reject that, you or I are doing right now, or you or I will do in the future, we take that with us. And that love is a power to free us.